when you go to a therapist, that's one of the first things you talk about. You know, what are your goals? What, what are you here for? And so forth. And so a lot of times what people will say to the therapist is they'll say, well, I want to be a better person. I want to feel better. You know, I want to have a better life. And, and yes, those are great goals. The therapist is then going to work with you to translate that into something that's more specific, more measurable, so you can kind of see that progress is being made. And so if you say, well, I just want to feel better, what you may end up saying is that you want to reduce your depression or you want to manage your anxiety. And so the therapist is going to help you drill down to where you're going to really get to a very, very specific workable goal that they can then use the therapeutic techniques to help you achieve that. Hi friends, it's Brittany Moses, and you're listening to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast, the podcast at the intersection of faith, culture, and mental health, where we get to dive into expert insights and realities of those with lived experience to help us live more insightful, connected, and wholehearted lives. We understand that the views shared here are respectively held by each individual and is not a substitute for professional care or an alternative to seeking personal help from a clinician or provider and is ours to discern. So sit with us. You're listening to episode 23. I'm really looking forward to today's episode. We are talking all things therapy. This is a broad topic that I've been wanting to kind of break down uh, for some time now, especially for those of you who maybe have never gone through therapy or you're thinking about it, but you don't know exactly what steps to take or it all just seems like a lot and fairly intimidating in navigating the system and networks of going about finding someone who might be a good fit for you. So we are breaking down all of those unknowns today. We're talking about what to expect from therapy, what are some of the experiences that you might have when you first show up, uh, how to look for a good therapist, or even how to discern someone who might be a good fit for you, what to do if maybe it's feeling like someone isn't the greatest fit for you, all the stuff regarding therapy we are talking about today. So if you are interested in therapy or you've been going to therapy for some time or you know someone who could benefit from getting help, I would definitely say listen to the whole episode, check it out, even if you're someone who's fairly high functioning and maybe isn't necessarily having some severe mental distresses or psychological stressors, but you know, are just thinking, hey, I really want to work on myself. I really want to build some better coping skills in my life and managing my life. This all counts. It all matters. So today I'm conversating with my friend, Dr. David Sussman, and he's a clinical psychologist, mental health advocate, college professor, husband, and father. And a lot of his work focuses on mental health, wellness, and recovery from mental illness and addiction. And he provides resources that are proven science-based information and resources to offer support, hope, and encouragement to people in recovery and those who care about them. And David just has a lot of great experience and insight on the ins and outs of therapy, having, you know, worked in a psychiatric hospital, having worked, you know, in a veterans hospital, as well as colleges and universities and mental health centers and his own license to practice therapy himself, having been on the other side of things. So I think this is going to be super valuable, especially for yourself or anyone who is considering the route of therapy or counseling and giving some more details of what that experience is like. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. David Sussman on all things therapy. 
Hi, David. It's so great to have you. How are you doing today? Oh, well, thank you, Brittany. I'm, uh, you may, I hope you know that I'm a big fan of yours, so it's uh, great <laughs> to be able to talk with you and to spend a little bit of time with you. I'm, that's what a coincidence, because I'm such a great fan of yours. Um, I, <laughs> thank you. Your blog is ridiculously amazing. You have all of these incredible resources, and I appreciate all of the work that you put in for advocacy and, and content-wise, and I always enjoy seeing you show up anywhere, you know, on my timeline um, and the work that you're doing. So, (laughs) So your work in clinical psychology has included, you know, psychiatric hospitals, mental health centers, colleges and universities, a federal prison and a veterans hospital. You're doing, you've done all the things and um, that is so inspiring and I appreciate your work. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself up to all of the work that you've been doing today? Oh uh, sure, yeah. I'll uh, and I'll I'll keep it brief. But uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. I've been working in the field for uh, quite a while, probably uh, going on 25 years or so. And uh, a lot of my clinical work was in an inpatient uh, public psychiatric hospital, where I worked for um, a good number of years. But I have also worked in other uh, mental health centers and some of the other settings that you mentioned. And so currently, however, uh, and as of about, I guess, four years ago, I switched over to a full-time uh, academic position. So I'm currently an assistant professor uh, in psychology, and I'm at the University of Kentucky in Lexington, Kentucky. And uh, my job right now is actually super fun because I get to train future psychologists and teach them how to conduct psychotherapy and how to do psychological assessment and all those fun things. And so uh, my current job has a lot of teaching and training and supervision. And uh, my uh, side gig is uh, mental health advocacy. And so, as you mentioned, I, you know, run a blog and I uh, am pretty active on social media and that kind of thing. So that's that's a little bit about me. I love it so much. And I did read your blog about your time in this in the psychiatric hospital and uh, found that very interesting. I will have to link that in the show notes below. Um and Great. Yeah. Yeah. And just appreciate the wealth of experience and insight that um, that you have and grateful for you sharing it here. So today we're talking about all things therapy, which I'm really excited for because, you know, throughout this podcast, we've mentioned, you know, getting help and the need to, you know, know the signs and symptoms and get the help that you need. But I haven't really taken the time to really specifically talk about what therapy actually looks like and why it's important and maybe even breaking down some of those obstacles that people have mentally that keep them from going. Um, And so I guess for starters, why would you say going to therapy is necessary at all? Like, why not just talk to a friend or just meet to a, with a mentor? What's the difference? Because I hear that a lot commonly. It's just like, you know, going to the movies with your friends is therapy. Doing this is therapy. And yes, those things are therapeutic. But <laughs> what, you know, what, what makes the difference between why therapy is distinctly um, important and helpful? Yeah, that that's such a great question. One that I have uh, actually answered a few times, and so I do have some thoughts on that. Uh, first, let me say at the outset that as we talk about therapy, I am going to be you know focused on therapy for 
you know, it's probably a given, but for mental health issues or mm-hmm. psychotherapy, you know, because I don't want people listening to think that we're talking about physical therapy or speech therapy or there's all kinds of other therapy right. that have nothing to do with mental health issues. So we're going to be confined to psychotherapy kinds of stuff. But, uh, you know, yeah, going to a therapist to uh, talk about your mental health concerns versus talking to your friend or your uh, maybe your hairdresser or your bartender or, you know, whoever. Uh, I think, you know, maybe another way to look at that is, you know, would you take your car to be repaired? Would you go to a certified mechanic or would you just like maybe go talk to your uncle who likes tinkering around on cars? So it's sort of the same kind of thing when you go to therapy. Um, you're you're talking to a trained, licensed professional and someone who has spent actually years learning how to uh, uh, to do therapy that's effective and that has been scientifically proven and that will actually help you get better. And then when you just talk to a friend, certainly, yeah, they're going to be supportive and they're going to be sometimes helpful or maybe give you some good feedback or advice. But it's just not the same as when you're actually seeing a professional. So I think I think that's kind of the big difference. Yeah, I love that analogy. Um, I just use a, a car analogy the other week, so we've got a lot of car analogies going on here. <laughs> but Good. I love, I love that you've highlighted that it really is a specialty. And for me, as someone who is currently studying, I mean, there's a lot of scientific deduction as to all of the pot- potential factors that could be going on in someone's life, and. Um, and so it's just being very specialized, I think, is so important. And um, having clear goals, right? Because oh, yeah. talking with your friends just kind of uh, through things is like nice. But one thing I've noticed is in therapy, you have like kind of clear set goals about where yep. you're progressing in, 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 a, in a progression point. And that's that's a little different, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And actually, let me mention, let me say something about that because when you go to a therapist, that's one of the first things you talk about. You know, what are your goals? What, what are you here for? And so forth. And so a lot of times what people will say to the therapist is they'll say, well, I want to be a better person. I want to feel better. You know, I want to have uh, a better life. And, and yes, those are great g- goals. But the therapist is then going to work with you to translate that into something that's more specific, more measurable, so you can kind of see that progress is being made. And so if you say, well, I just want to feel better, what you may end up saying is that you want to reduce your depression or you want to manage your anxiety. And so the therapist is going to help you drill down to where you're going to really get to a very, very specific workable goal that they can then use the therapeutic techniques to help you achieve that. I love that. Uh, I love that you mentioned that because I think when you're someone who's not familiar with mental health or even myself before kind of going through this whole process, you don't really fully have a language to all of those internal processes. So you just know that you feel bad or maybe you've been feeling bad for a long time and you just want to feel better, like you said. But even I think going through that process of working through with a therapist, what exactly the root is or what exactly those factors are that are making you feel bad and resolving those, I think even just that first step of clarifying what's going on internally is huge. Oh, yeah. And I, and I don't think uh, probably a lot of people realize that another critical part of that first part of therapy is the therapist is going to do some uh, uh, questioning and assessment to really 
figure out exactly what your specific areas of concern are because that's in order to provide treatment you have to first know what you're treating and so they're going to do some uh, you know questionnaires or interviews or sometimes formal tests or whatever to figure out exactly what your uh, issues are and if they do in fact meet the threshold for a diagnosis yes i have taken those tests in the past (laughs) in a therapy office and um Actually, just me going through it myself in the past was like very eye-opening. Like, oh, wow. Because it, it makes you think like, oh, wait, I have been feeling these symptoms for this long. Or, oh, wait, I have been having these thoughts. Or whatever it might be that you just haven't given yourself the attention to. And um, I really, really, um, I love that. So speaking of all of this, uh, you know, for someone who's never been to therapy or they're thinking about it and they're just like you know, I think maybe I should start going to therapy or getting some mental health treatment, um, but it's all very ambiguous to them. Like, what are some examples of what might take place in a therapy session for them just to kind of um, release some of those unknowns and potential fears of going? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, first, let me say that that what you just said, that hardest step is sometimes just the making the call, just setting up the appointment, just asking for help. And I want to just beat that drum a little bit more as you do to say, you know, it is okay to ask for help. And there there is uh, no chance that things are going to get better for you through therapy if you don't try therapy. And so I just want to say, you know, r- reach out and make that call. And because if it, if it works, great. But if, if it doesn't work, you may need to try a different therapist or whatever. But to your mm-hmm. question, so what are examples? What might take place? So obviously, as we know, there's a lot of talking that goes on. And so uh, you, you and your therapist are going to discuss your concerns, your issues, identify what they are, begin to come up with, with uh, goals and with a plan. And the therapist would then identify what might be specific types of therapy or specific types of approaches that are well-suited for your specific problems. And then from there, it can go in in a number of different directions because you, uh, a lot of times, are then going to learn some coping skills. So you may learn how to better manage your emotions or you may learn how to have more effective relationships or how to manage your anger or how to be more assertive or how to communicate better. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And uh, and many times, a lot of the the sort of... uh, tough work in therapy is then digging into those issues, helping you learn some new ways to cope, helping you learn some new ways to think, helping you try some new behaviors. And a lot of that, you know, is, is, uh, you know, it's tough work. And sometimes it takes a little bit of a little while. Another thing that's really common in therapy is homework. And so you, you may have assignments between your, your sessions if you're meeting once a week or whatever. And so you go and you try things out between the sessions and you come back and you talk about how they went. Or maybe you have worksheets or maybe you have a journal or maybe you have experiments or whatever. And so, uh, you know, therapy is quite variable, I mean, depending on what you're working on. But those are probably some of the common things that, that you would experience, I think, in, in therapy. I love that, you know, just this idea of quality time to work on this project of yourself, which yeah. is kind of never ending. Um, I'm, I've made it a goal of mine to just continue being in some form of therapy, even if it's just touching bases or maintenance work, because there's always something that you could be improving and working on. I think 
in highlighting this, whether I think because some people are like, okay, well, what I'm going through isn't that extreme, right? Or they'll maybe be dismissive or it's like, yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if it's that serious or I could figure it out. I'm sure it'll, I'll figure it out over time or resolve it. You know, this is my problem. I'll deal with it. You know, um, those kind of, those kind of feelings and reasonings. Uh, mm-hmm. and so I think just also highlighting like, no issue is too insignificant or too big and therapy holds space for it all my therapist in the past would um she she's told me that she was like okay you're high functioning you know uh (laughs) but you still have this issue issue that issue that issue that you know and so it's like even no matter how high functioning you are we all could use um, just some better introspection and tools and skills to become the best versions of ourselves, so to speak. Oh, I think that's right. And and actually, a lot of times when I'm training uh, graduate students to to do therapy, uh, one of the things we talk about is is uh, one of the goals that you often have with a lot of people you work with is sort of teaching them how to become their own therapists in a way, so that you know, in other words they begin to learn these skills and new ways of approaching things so that then in the future they can uh, pull those out and, and use them when they need to and, and it becomes more automatic for them. And so you really want to try to teach people kind of this new way of uh, managing things and thinking about things that they can then apply um, on their own in the future. I love that. I love that you're bringing that up. Yeah, you 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 leave with more tools to cope through life and um and that's huge because your life could look completely different than what it presently does and i think just that gives so much hope and even just the idea of being proactive in our care gives a lot of hope so that being said uh what would you say are some good qualities to have in a therapist uh that someone maybe should be looking out for or are signs that, you know, they're with a great person, um, someone's real, someone who's really going to provide some help and some care and be effective. Uh, what would you say some of those qualities are? Yeah, I think there's, there's several. And uh, two of the ones that really are, are important. One is that the person is skilled and well-trained because they need to have some experience in treating your your concerns. And so that's, I think, an important point to make because not every therapist is trained to treat every type of problem. And I'm not sure people really grasp that. Right. But, but there will be therapists who have really uh, specialized in certain areas like treating depression or treating anxiety or treating trauma or those kind of things. And I think if you know you have kind of a specific concern like that, to really make sure that the therapist that you're going to see has had that kind of specific training in your in your concerns, because not everyone necessarily is sort of like the way we have different uh, physicians. You know, you have an eye doctor, and you might have a foot doctor, and you might have a heart doctor, and those kinds of things. Therapy is somewhat similar, so I think you really 
need to make sure your, your therapist is skilled in the issues that are of most concern to you. The second part of it, which is every bit as important, is looking for those personal qualities of the therapist. And so these would be the things like the empathy they have. Are they a good listener? Are they supportive to you? Are they open to hearing your feedback? Um, are they, uh, do you feel comfortable with them? And so kind of all those personal qualities, that has to go hand in hand with the professional skill and the training because you've got to have both. You've got to have an effective relationship with the therapist and you have to feel comfortable in working with them. So I think a lot of it kind of comes down to the skill and the personal qualities. Yeah, yeah, I love that. So that being said, what should someone do if they feel like they're not vibing with the therapist they just started meeting with? Because like you said, there are different therapists and different specialties. And I've definitely been someone who's experienced both. (laughs) Where it's like, oh, this person's great. And it's like, "Mm, this person's not exactly meeting me where I am. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And what that would happens. you? Yeah, and it, it's not that this wasn't a great person, or you know, or that she maybe it's not that she wasn't competent in her work. It's just that it wasn't a the best fit. Um, yeah. yeah, and maybe also like kind of maybe getting through that disappointment and not giving up uh, in spite of that, because sometimes it can feel that way too, especially kind of re-going through the process of looking for another one. Um, Any encouragement or insights on that? Yeah, so it does happen. Uh, Sometimes the fit is not right, and it might be because of just you don't feel comfortable or you have some sense that maybe they're not uh, as highly uh, trained to to deal with your issues. But I think the first thing is to give it a little bit of time, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, not, not forever, but, you know, give it if you're meeting weekly, maybe give it three or four weeks at least. Kind of see if uh, you feel like it's starting to improve because, you know, sometimes you may make a snap judgment after one meeting. And I, I, I think just give it a little bit of time. And then I think if it still feels kind of not right to then be honest, give the therapist some feedback, sort of say why you feel like it's not comfortable for you or, or, or not working. And I know that's sometimes hard to do. And then also know that it's okay if you need to move on and and you don't have to stay. You're not obligated to stay with a therapist if it's not working for you. And yeah, it is going to take then a little bit of work to go and find another one. But the payoff in the end may be quite worth worth it because if you do find that person who you really do click well with and, and it feels right and they're also very effective in helping you, then that's that's the goal. Right, right. I thank you for saying to take some time too, because in the beginning, we don't really, we might not really know what exactly is coming up for us as to why we don't feel comfortable. Um, you know, like right. you said, it could be that maybe it's not the best fit, but it could be just that we are kind of uncomfortable with being in this type of setting for the first time, you know, or in the beginning, it might feel like there's not like a ton of progress because you're still kind of getting, you're forming that alliance with one another. And then also it can feel like it's getting worse before it's getting better sometimes because you yeah. are hashing out all that stuff. Um, yeah. And so... I appreciate you saying to also give time for kind of the evolution of seeing where things have the potential to go. And and your point is so great because uh, therapy can be very uncomfortable when you begin to talk about 
very deep personal sensitive issues and it can be uncomfortable and you can feel a little bit worse before you start to feel better. And I think that's a natural part of the therapy process. So I wouldn't mistake that with the sort of other issue we talked about where you just feel like you and the therapist aren't a good fit. Because if you're just only thinking about moving on because it's uncomfortable for you to be talking about these things, that's going to happen no matter who you see. And so I think you need to separate that discomfort from, from disclosing the information versus some sense of this therapist is just not being effective for me. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, the first thing that came to my mind when you said that was like going to the gym because I was like huge into weights and resistance training uh, not too long ago. And the truth is that you're sore for sometimes days, but you know, but in your mind, you know, oh, this soreness is equated to muscle growth or it's equated to my wellness. And even though it hurts, (laughs) um, it's producing, it's producing something. And so when I think about the therapeutic process and, you know, what you're saying about, you know, it, it, it might kind of feel uncomfortable at first because you're hashing out all that stuff. And I think that's sometimes the biggest fear is that we don't want to revisit those painful things. We don't want to dig back up the things that we've been suppressing to protect ourselves from for so long is that just seeing the discomfort and seeing, um, you know, the potential Oh, yeah, that's such such a great analogy. And, you know, it might also be worth mentioning, as I'm sure you know, that, you know, one of the most effective uh, therapies for anxiety and trauma is actually called exposure. And so, you know, you're actually going to be talking in detail about the traumatic experience that you've gone through. Uh, if you have a phobia, you may be going through a kind of list of more and more and more troubling situations and thinking about them, experiencing them. So it's going to be very, very uncomfortable going through that. Right. But after a while, you begin to see that that, uh, that fear and that pain and that anxiety diminishes as you work through that. So I have a confession to make, say, speaking okay. of that. I have arachnophobia. And I've had it, oh my gosh, I've had it my whole life with pretty much any kind of insect. And people have told me my whole life, Brittany, you're bigger than the thing. It's more scared of you than you are of it. And I really don't care (laughs) because if I get freaked out, like if I see something, I'm just like, the room is yours. You get it, insect. I will go. I will go everywhere else in the house. If something is in my room and then it disappears, I don't. I can't sleep in my bed because I just know it's going to crawl into my ear at night. I mean, I just have such huge disproportionate fears. <laughs> and well, you're 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 not alone, Brittany. Let me say that because a lot <laughs> of people have that fear. And I'm just like, come on! I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a woman now. I'm grown. I'm older. I have a handle, somewhat of a handle on my life, and I still cannot deal with this. And well, um, I mean, as you know, I'm sure you know, you, you know, you could undertake phobia treatment for that if, at some point if you wanted to. Well, that's where I was kind of going. Like, <laughs> I know that I could do this. 
I know yep. that I, I, I know the stuff, you know, I know the therapy stuff and the exposure and the avoidance cycle. And I know all of that, that the best way to overcome your fear is to go through some level of exposure, level by level, little by little. And even knowing that, I'm like, that's exactly why I don't want to do it. So, because I know I'm well, going to have to expose myself. So yeah. I can only imagine someone who has maybe a more severe phobia, you know, um, and their, and the idea of exposure therapy sounds terrifying. Like, what encouragement is there for those of us who are like, I know I need to overcome this, but I have a fear of overcoming it, <laughs> you know? Well. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I get that. And you and you are not alone. A lot of people feel the same way. I mean, I guess I will say when you're talking about, you know, you're describing a specific phobia like spiders or elevators or flying or those kind of things. Those are super treatable. And and you do go through some exposure, but most of it is called imaginal where, you know, you're just right. thinking about these situations. We're not going to throw you in a room with a, a bunch of big spiders or anything like that. Um, and so it actually is. It's very, very treatable. It's probably one of the most highly effective uh, treatments for any kind of uh, psychological concern. If you have a specific phobia, you really can get over it and pretty much not ever deal with that fear again. Um, other kinds of phobias are more complicated, like if you have a social anxiety or you know, what maybe what we call agoraphobia, where you don't like to go out in big crowded spaces. Those are a little more difficult. But I, I think, you know, there is kind of that question of the trade-off. Do I want to go through the treatment? Is it worth it to me? How often does it impact my life? I mean, if it's, if, you know, if this is happening to you a handful of times every year, it, you know, it may not be worth it to go through, through the treatment. But if you were working in a, you know, a, a, a zoo with giant spiders every day, you would probably <laughs> need to go and get that taken care of. So or quit. I think, I'd probably yeah, quit. Or quit. Yeah, or quit. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, sometimes you have to evaluate just the, you know, the risk and the benefit and the pros and cons and decide if it's worth it for you to try to deal with it. Right. Thank you so much for, for saying that. Um, so what you're saying is I probably, if I want to be free of this in my life, should just bite the bullet for the trade-off. And well, yeah, you know, and maybe you just put it on the bucket list for later on, you know, when you yeah. have a little more free time or whatever. I will also mention there's an old movie called Arachnophobia, which you definitely don't want to see. Oh, <laughs> I will stay as far away from that as I possibly can. <laughs> you know, what I'm hearing, um, you're, you're saying that I, that I also want to pull out that I think is really important is that the really wonderful thing about therapy is that it creates a safe space for these things, you know, and kind of just being out in the world with, say, um, these emotional or, or mental conditions or these phobias and whatnot. It's a, they're really unreliable places to have these experiences. But in therapy, you have this kind of safe haven to explore these things and to kind of experiment with, you know, different thing, treatments and, and, and remedies that, that work for you. And it yes. kind of gives you that, that sheltered space, that refuge to do it that you likely will not pretty much get in your regular everyday life out in the world. And that's probably like the hugest, uh, benefit that's that's different about being able to deal with these you have a designated space where you are safe to deal with them yeah totally agree with you couldn't agree more 
And I think that until someone has really experienced uh, a therapeutic environment, they don't even quite know what that feels like. But but it is uh, it is a great uh, space to work on these sometimes very deeply personal emotional concerns. Right. You know, somebody also might be thinking in the back of their head, because I've thought this before in the past, you know, yeah, I'd like to go see someone to talk about these things, but are maybe afraid of even the therapist judging them or even the Mm. therapist thinking, you know, oh man, she's going to think I'm crazy. Like they're going to go tell their therapist friends and, uh, you know, I, I, it's too vulnerable. I don't trust it. You know, um, what kind of designates therapy as that safe space where people can, where someone who's listening can be assured that, um, you know, that they can go and it's kind of judgment free and that this is actually a totally normal space to talk about these severe distresses, no matter how uh, abnormal they may seem. Yeah, that's such an important uh, point you're bringing up. Uh, first of all, you know, we as therapists, we're, we're trained extensively in being supportive, being non-judgmental, uh, being accepting. And so, you know, it would be an immediate red flag if a therapist were to say anything that was judgmental to you as you were talking about your concerns. That, that just shouldn't happen. Um, and so I think people would find therapy that safe, supportive place. Uh, we're not going to say you're crazy. We're not going to say, oh, my gosh, this is the worst thing I've ever heard. I mean, none, none of that is going to happen. We're not going to go rush and tell anybody what you said, because uh, the other important important point is just the, the strictness of confidentiality and privacy. And so we are we are not permitted to uh, disclose your information um, to anyone unless there are certain rare exceptional events where the law would require a disclosure. So it's typically like if there's some severe threat of harm to the person or someone else or some uh, endangering a child who might be being abused or neglected. But apart from those kind of extreme circumstances, what what you say in therapy, you know, it's private, it is confidential. There may need to be certain amounts of information released to your insurance company for payment and those kinds of things. But uh, what you bring to therapy, that that's that's a private uh, conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And I've never I've never been in a session ever in my life where there was judgmental or anything. Um, and then now being on the other side of things, if anything, um, we're, it's like you're more interested in learning about the dynamics of this person. Um, yes. The the mentality is not judgmental at all. And I think a lot of people would be surprised how common a lot of the things that they're experiencing are. Uh, yeah, a lot of times right. people feel like, oh my gosh, this is just me. You know, we hate you. We don't like using the word crazy, but that's how people feel. That's what I, you know, about themselves. Like, oh, they're going to think I'm crazy. You know, um, I don't know anybody else who has experienced this. It's so extreme. And it's actually like these things and these thought processes, no no matter how like irrational you may even know they are, it's, it's, I can't even like uh, express enough how common these actually are. Um, The irrational thoughts, the OCDs, the, you know, picking of skin or hair, whatever it is that seems um, extreme, 
chances are you're not the only one that is experiencing that and chances are you're not the only person that the therapist has seen or heard experiencing that. I mean, there is a lot of exposure to a range of conditions and things uh, going on. So just knowing that. Yeah, that's that's totally uh, correct because therapists typically are quite familiar with, with uh, you know, most of the common issues that people bring and uh, I mean, I will admit I'm still occasionally surprised by maybe something I haven't heard before, but, uh, uh, you know, generally uh, therapists are going to have pretty pretty good familiarity with most of the common issues. Right. And and when you're surprised by it, it is it, would you say, though, it's more of like an interest to you, right? Like the reaction is more like, this is interesting. I want to yes, learn more about exactly. it in this person, not like, oh, my gosh. That's, exactly. that's crazy. That's not Ex- the thought. That's just not even the feeling. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, uh, uh, there have been rare exceptions in my career, like when I was working in inpatient uh, uh, hospital settings. And I remember one gentleman came in and he, you know, he swore up and down that he was a uh, engineer for NASA and had all these extreme, you know, theories about rocket science and so forth. And we, we immediately sort of assume, well, that's, you know, probably not true and maybe delusional or, or psychotic or whatever. Well, we were surprised to find out he was actually a engineer working for NASA. Oh, man. <laughs> that's <laughs> so, amazing. Yeah. And so, but that's, you know, that's pretty unlikely in, you know, in most, most scenarios. I mean, he did have uh, bipolar disorder and was quite manic. And so the presentation initially was that, well, we thought that couldn't, you know, some of that information probably wasn't accurate but in his case what he was saying largely was pretty accurate so you know that that was a case where i was surprised yeah oh man so okay so i'm just gonna switch gears here just for a moment because we talk a lot about therapy and we encourage people to go to therapy and and get help and a lot of us in mental health advocacy encourage that, but it can also be such a daunting process for people to even find a therapist. And I'm sure this is in your advocacy work as well. Um, Even in my own, I I kind of tested this recently because I knew we were going to have this conversation, even with my own network, which is a great network, you know, well-known kind of prominent network, um, just such a runaround of trying to find a therapist and um, who is, or even the network database. There were some people in there who I reached out to who weren't even in network anymore and they were still in the database. So, you know, not to discourage anyone because like you said earlier, the payoff is so worth it. Once you're, cause once you're in, you're kind of in, you know, and and that's great once you're in, in, um, in with a therapist. But, you know, what are, I don't know, what are some first steps or places you would say people should start in finding a therapist in a process that can seem quite intimidating and daunting and sometimes a little frustrating, um, but they they want the help. They, someone on, in listening wants to look and they're just like, where do I start? Yeah, uh, uh, I, I get asked, uh, I'm going to say once a week or more, somebody wants me to help them find a therapist. And so I get get that question all the time. And, you know, I wish, why does it have to be so darn complicated is my first thought. Uh, But let me tell you a few thoughts, because uh, I will always first ask someone what their resources are. And so meaning, do they have health insurance? Because that's going to always be a more cost effective option if they can stay in their provider network. And so if they have health insurance, I'm going to encourage them to, you know, at least look through the 
the network uh, list of providers. And then many times I'll even look through it with them. And then if I know someone, I can suggest someone specifically. But, you know, if, if you see someone in your insurance network, you're going to save a ton of money. If you have to go out and just pay someone privately, it's going to be a lot, lot, lot more expensive, although sometimes that's what people end up doing. Um, I think another thing is uh, word of mouth can still be helpful. So maybe you have family or friends or uh, uh, friends you know who are therapists or no therapists, and they may be able to give you local recommendations. And I think those can be sometimes really helpful because they may have some personal experience with that therapist. Um, some of the online directories, as you know, uh, can be helpful uh, because you can go in and you can see a whole list of people, but then you can also filter by your insurance company or you can filter by the types of therapy they do or you can filter by location. And so there's so many factors because, you know, you're thinking about, you know, is the therapist qualified? Can they help me with my problem? Where are they located? I don't want to have to drive two hours every time I go see them. How much is it going to cost? And then, you know, you're, you're in, a, in a big urban area. I'm in a small urban area, mm-hmm. but a lot, of people, a lot of people are in rural areas. And so when they, you know, pull up the list, there may be three people on the list. And so, you know, it's really, really a challenge when you get into more uh, rural areas. The other thing that's just a problem everywhere is demand. And so everybody's got a waiting list. And so people, you know, even if they get signed up to see the therapist they want to see, they may have to wait four or six or eight weeks just to get in there. And so there are so, so, so many things. But I think I try to help people work through their options uh, financially and then try to look at, you know, who might be some of the uh, local therapists. And then do we have some knowledge of, you know, who's good or who has some uh, expertise? And then you kind of go from there. But it's it's a super complicated process. Yeah. And I definitely wanted to bring up the reality of this while I never like to. I mean, genuinely, I don't like bringing up things that discourage people from getting the help that they need. But at the same time, um, in reality, it just just as with anything in life, there are obstacles. And um, and so just if you are hitting some of those walls or hitting some of those obstacles, like you said, um, continuing to look through those resources, insurance, like you said, is the big one to go through where they can connect you with someone. And if you're low income, see if, you know, if there's any kind of look into any type of state insurance, because um, they, they technically have to provide uh, mental health care as well. Um, cause it is still a form of healthcare. Um, mm-hmm. so thank you for, for bringing that up. Um, yeah, uh, let me say one more thing about the low income. So, um, yes, I, I was yeah, gonna ask so, you that next free oh, and okay. low cost resources. Yeah, cause yeah. I know you're the man for that. Well, <laughs> yeah. And I, I have worked over the years with a lot of people who have been, uh, Uh, unemployed or have no insurance or whatever. And so it's really, really tough, but most areas will have some sort of public mental health service, like a community mental health center or something like that, where they do have some obligation to see people with low or no income. And so they're often overwhelmed, but still those are the places to go uh, if you um, have really limited finances. Um, the other thing I would say is that college students uh, who are also sort of low income in many respects, mm-hmm. um, they actually have it pretty good because they're always going to have some free access to their university counseling center. And so that's you know a pretty good resource for, for college students, although they're often really busy. 
Um, the other thing that you can do is if you're in a town or city with a university, sometimes you can check and see if the school has a training clinic. So, for example, um, I'm the director of our training clinic for our clinical psychology students. And so we actually run a mental health clinic where the graduate students provide therapy at low cost and they're under supervision from our licensed faculty. And so, you know, if you are okay with potentially seeing a graduate student, many times uh, universities will have those training clinics, which are which can be really, really low cost. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, those are great. Oh, yeah. Therapy. Um, I yep. personally haven't done anything of that sort yet, but um, I could definitely see the benefit of that. Like you're saying, if they're an in-network therapist is miles away or whatnot. And I, yes, that's different than seeing someone in person, you know, and all of the qualities that come from being in maybe the same room with per, with someone. But what are what are your thoughts on potentially someone going through teletherapy and or and maybe as well like who would that probably work better for? And then who what might that work not so well for considering the circumstances? Yeah, I, I have uh, I have some concerns about teletherapy and online therapy. Right. Because I, I just think it's exploded and we haven't quite figured out all the uh, sort of uh, nuances. And so by that, I mean, you know, it could be very good for someone who is in a rural area and this way they can actually see someone online uh, that would be far away from them. Um, the cost may sometimes be more affordable online. I think the tricky thing about the online therapy is that we don't always totally know about the licensure of the person that you're seeing and also the whole issue of seeing someone across state lines. So like if you're in California and I'm in Kentucky and you're seeing someone someone online who's in Iowa, it's like maybe they're not even licensed in your jurisdiction. And so there's a lot of things right. that I don't think we've quite figured out yet to really protect the public. And so I, I see a lot of potential for it. Uh, I'm still a little bit old school in terms of preferring live in-person therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I certainly see potential for online therapy, but I still think we got a lot of work to do to make sure that it's really going to be really safe for the person and, and, and that they're going to be protected and not just talking to someone who's unlicensed or unqualified or, you know, all those kind of things. Right, right. And I and as you're saying that, it just made me think like, even if there was, say you find someone who, who, who sorry, <laughs> say you do find someone who you're connected with as a therapist, even almost this like medium, this potential medium of like, you see them in person. And, you know, one week, and then maybe you guys do online the next week, if it's so far, and maybe having some type of yeah, and that I would be more switch comfortable off with. If, yeah, yeah. If you know, like that, that kind of seems like if it's really, really um, a hard, a difficult situation, uh, maybe that might be a more uh, permissible kind of medium. Yes, yes, that sounds much more reasonable to me because because you, <laughs> you're you are having some face to face contact, and then you know I could also imagine you know, maybe you break your leg and you're laid up for four weeks or something, you could still do some online therapy while you're resting at home. So, I mean, there are situations where it might be, um, you know, uh, feasible. Yeah. And just a quick plug because, um, yeah, with the, just a quick plug with our sponsors with BetterHelp, they do have a licensed therapist, um, 
that are there that are online um for me that's been something that's been really nice to kind of just check in with throughout school but um as well as um having someone in, in person has been really really great so um thank you so much for for everything that you shared uh i think that we've been able to peel back the layers on the different dynamics of therapy and uh you know how can others who are listening stay connected to you and the work that you're doing because you have so much information that you are pretty much giving away for free online <laughs> about uh, definitely. everything say, definitely. <laughs> yeah uh, yeah so yeah the best place to find me is uh, on my website and it just is davidsussman.com so that's david s-u-s-m-a-n.com and there you will find my mental health and advocacy blog. I have uh, tried to post about once a week for the past few years, and I'm hoping I can keep that streak going. And so you'll find a lot of information about various mental health topics and advocacy. You will also find a series of uh, articles I do called Stories of Hope, which are interviews with people who share about their own personal mental health uh, lived experience. And uh, those are kind of inspiring to me to read about uh, all the different things people have uh, kind of gone through and are still thriving. Uh, from my website, you can also find connections. I have a uh, professional page on Facebook, one on Instagram, one on Twitter. You can connect with me uh, sort of business-wise on LinkedIn. And all of those connections you can find on my website. So I'm pretty easy to find, I think. You are, actually. You're everywhere. <laughs> and props to you because, you know, even just switching over to to the online world um, as far as um, sharing everything that you're doing is, is huge. And also love seeing your beautiful family and your daughter. <laughs> oh, thank you. And my, and my daughter's out there in Southern California. So oh, is she? I know. Should meet up sometime, yeah. We should connect. She's going to be like, who is this lady? I'm going to be like, yeah, I know your right, dad. Right. Trust me. We're, we're good people. Okay, yeah, yeah. great. Well, thank you so much again for your time. Thank you guys for tuning in. Until next time. <laughs>